It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin. We are back, as we promised on Twitter, if you saw. We are now on to twice a week. We are closing in on the Michigan State football season. I just posted uh, moments ago, we are Eric Gordon days away from Michigan State football. Eric Gordon, low-key you know, everybody talks about like underrated guys. I put something out recently that was like most underrated players and people are bringing up like Javon Ringer. Like he's not underrated. Eric Gordon was truly underrated because he was a linebacker that played alongside Greg Jones. He was like the other guy, but he was amazing. I want to give him his flowers. He was incredible. Uh, Scott, it is, I don't even know. Is it Wednesday, Thursday? I don't even know what day it is. Um, I think it's I'm, Thursday boiling hot it's about a hundred degrees here i don't have air conditioning we're just kind of trucking through it and uh the dog is sunbathing right now i don't understand her but we're, we're here we're doing it how are you today uh i have air conditioning so probably a lot better than you um yeah it's we're we're in a stretch of like 10 straight days over 90 95 so um yeah, dog days of summer, but that means football is getting closer. When it finally cools off, it'll probably be like the end of August, and we'll have some football to watch. So, uh, also preseason NFL, it always sneaks up on me every it does. year. It's only a few weeks away. Yeah, um, and then once you get there, that that kind of we talk about this every year, but that kind of like gives you your fix until college football is there. So, as as much as preseason NFL football is a joke and like hardly worth tuning into at all i feel like once you make it there you're like you're in you know you're got your feet in the water you haven't dove in like you haven't put your head under the water yet but you got your feet in you're at the pool yeah yep the shirt's off you're 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 ready to go this does remind like it's uh that's like the positive side of this time of year the negative side side of this time of year is you remember in high school about this time where it's 90 plus degrees outside and you know you're in the middle of summer in high school football we had summer workouts going through the whole year but they were you know like if you had other things to do they weren't totally mandatory for the non like starter starter players i was mostly a kicker like if i missed a summer workout it wasn't the end of the world but i knew we had camp coming right around the corner 
and we had two a days coming right around the corner. And every time you step outside, you're like, oh boy, like this time next week or this time week and a half from now, like I'm going to be wearing full pads outside playing football for six hours. And uh, this, this was not a fun time for me. Yeah. I remember the first week of the football calendar, the mandatory football calendar was just conditioning for like two to three hours for a full week in August. And they're just like, all right, get out here. We're, we're just going to sweat for a few hours and then you're going to go home. Helmets on. Yeah, absolutely. No coaches <laughs> helmets always on the best you're going to get <laughs> is like shorts and usually still shoulder pads. Um, yeah. You got the shells. Hot, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great for character. Um, it's like uh, the remember the Titans camp. Um yeah, so speaking of getting the day started, um, <laughs> mayo in your coffee, Kevin. This one's making the rounds again. Will Levis. I, you know, I want to like Will Levis. He was pretty good at Penn State. He had that one game where he just tortured us with like one yeah. yard runs, uh, fourth and one over and over, just blasting through Noah Harvey's face. Um, transferred to Kentucky. Now he's like a national dude. He's like, he's playing really well at Kentucky. But this is twice now that he's kind of gone viral for mayo in his coffee. And this time there's a video. And uh, we were talking about this before we jumped on. The first time this came up, there was no visual, right? And you're just imagining like, okay, maybe he puts like a, you know, a little dollop, a little dribble of mayo in his coffee. Like it's gross, but whatever. I've never tried it. So who knows? The video's out. He has like half a mug of coffee like literally half, half full. And then he just tops it off with mayo. I mean, that mayo jar, it's squeeze bottle just sits there for like, the worst part is that it's the squeeze bottle too. You know, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's a bad visual for those who haven't seen it. I really don't recommend it. Actually. It's, it's, it's a tough watch. It's yeah. Haunting. It's like a little bit of coffee with his mayo. It's, and it, are you a mayo guy? Because I like mayo. I yeah. have no problems with mayo. Like some people just even the thought of mayo. Like I know TJ is like this. Even the thought of mayo just makes him like cringe. And I know a lot of people are like that. I like mayo. I'll put mayo on a sandwich, burger, whatever. But the squirting into the coffee, it just it gave me like a little like I, I was a little squeamish just I watching that. It would be hard to convince me to put mayo on anything before like 1130 in the morning. Um, so like even mayo on like toast where, you know, mayo goes on bread sometimes. I could see that. But I, I just you can't do it before lunch regardless. <laughs> and putting it in coffee, you got to draw the line somewhere. I mean, it's working out for him. Obviously, he's he's doing really well. He'll probably make it to the league and have a shot there. Uh, but yeah, no. We're he not. was the same guy eating the full bananas with the peel and all. Yeah, I want yeah, to meet his parents. Like, he's what, got, yeah. what went wrong? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, he's got some strange eating habits, man. I don't know. Um, no, elsewhere in the, you know, we'll get to the Michigan State stuff. Obviously, we're previewing the backfield today, so quarterbacks and running backs. But a few kind of big things popped up that that we want to make sure we hit on. The the next thing we need to talk about here, Pat Narduzzi. Uh, <laughs> Pat Narduzzi kind of, I guess, sounded like if if you gave this to me without a ton of context, it would sound like the the old ball coach who's been retired for five years and just 
you know, he doesn't like the direction of college football nowadays. And he's just the sitting on his rocking chair with a glass of whiskey in his hand, just kind of complaining. And he went on a, a, a podcast, I guess they were doing like a Twitter live thing. And Scott, he was talking about the peach bowl and they would have kicked our ass if, if their quarterbacks hadn't gotten hurt. Like what, What's going on with our guy, Pat Narduzzi? It's truly a fall from grace with MSU fans. You know, he was, when he left Michigan State, he was on sacred ground. The defenses that he he managed for us and the results, obviously. And really, it was foundational to the success we had in the in the mid 2010s we we Um, had greg jones on this podcast talking about how he loves pat narduzzi that was his guy that was the guy that was the catalyst for those defenses so you'd think you know don't burn bridges especially in college football where people are always moving around you'd think he'd have some kind of like quiet loyalty to, to michigan state well Yeah, he came out. He said, if Kenny Pickett, you know, Kenny Pickett's a, I think he said like a 24 point swing, (laughs) which is insane, dude. Which is insane. When you look at Vegas totals, like now that I've dipped my, I've way past dipped my toes into the sports betting worlds, losing a starting quarterback, even a Kenny Pickett, that might be a touchdown swing. Might be. And that's if it's like losing a Kenny Pickett or Bryce Young. A lot of times you lose, like if we lost Peyton Thorne for a game, that might be like a four-point swing. It's always way less than you would think. 28 points or whatever he said, that's just absolutely asinine. Then he goes on to say, if Nick Patty doesn't get hurt, they still crush us. Which is, I mean, okay, he had like one drive where he looked good. Fine. And you Um, can argue... Maybe they beat us. I I might even hear that argument, right? Because we looked bad for straight. You just watched that game again. Like we we did not look good. I watched that game yesterday, and after the first drive, it was pretty much just doldrums for 35, 40 plus minutes of gameplay. The second and third quarter, we didn't score at all. Um, and we didn't really get close. It wasn't like we got to the doorstep and had turnovers. I mean, we were just, it was abysmal. We couldn't run the ball. Peyton Thorne couldn't hit a barn in that game for most of the game, um, which we'll get to later. Um, but couldn't hit the barn side of a broad dude. What movie was that from? All right, continue. I, um, <laughs> and all that doesn't even mention that our best player wasn't playing. Uh, Kenneth Walker obviously was not in that game. So just ludicrous. I mean, it's, it's illogical at its surface, but also just surprising tone from, from a guy who really like cut his teeth and got his current job because of what he did at Michigan state or what at least he was a part of at Michigan state. Um, and it's, it's a little sad to see him go after that. And then he goes on to say, which is really the one that made the rounds nationally that, basically he said, if that's one of the big tens best teams in speaking in Michigan of Michigan state, then why don't we just go over to the big 10 and win it every year, (laughs) which is just ludicrous because I love Michigan state. Obviously we are a Michigan state podcast. We'll defend them to the death, but like we lost by, I don't remember what it was, but something around 50 points to Ohio state. We were not 
the top of the conference last year and they lost to us. So anyway, <laughs> it's ludicrous, but I was just more surprised by the tone. Pat Narduzzi is a guy that I know a lot of Michigan State fans have or at least had respect for and has just gone full bore. Not to mention throwing his coaches under the bus. We're not going to get into every detail, but if you want to look up the storylines coming out of that interview, because he certainly burned some bridges. It was it was just a very odd thing to pop up on the time. It was the last thing I would have expected. They just Narduzzi never really came across as that guy to me. He always seemed seemed like more of the guy that he's very vocal, he's very in your face, but behind closed doors, right? And that was kind of what we got again when we had Greg Jones on the podcast uh, about this time last year, I want to say. And uh, he, the way he talked, it just seemed like it, that was always the vibe I got in general was he's he's going to say what he thinks. He's going to say what's on his mind, but he's not going to do it out in public. He's going to do it behind closed doors. Right. And th- it was just a very strange thing to see on the timeline. Right. Pat Narduzzi says Pitt would have smoked us. See, like. It, it was just a, like, was he drunk? Was he <laughs> like, I, it was just not what I expected to see uh, yesterday when I popped open Twitter. I don't know that that was um, he must have been coming off a of vacation, feeling a little loose. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Middle of the summer. He's like, ah, nobody's <laughs> listening anyway. You know, I'll say what I want. What What do you think? What do you think Pat Narduzzi's drink of choice is? I feel like I it's could... like second shelf bourbon. See, I I thought the same thing, but I also could definitely see him getting loose on some like pina coladas on the beach. You know, <laughs> like just oh yeah, no, like if hey, he's, I'm on, if he's got I'm on vacation, I've got I've got my my dad calls it just boat drinks whenever he makes like one of those kind of fruity rum based drinks. He's just always walking around with his boat drinks. I could see Narduzzi as a boat drink guy. <laughs> a little uh, baby something that's like blue. Umbrella. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wife's like, why is her tongue purple? <laughs> well, Too many uh, sex on the beaches or something. You know, like <laughs> Narduzzi went down a few notches in the MSU lore. I think um, just surprising. You could chalk it up to trying to defend his program, but he also like went after his offensive staff. And I don't know, right. bizarre, bizarre. Um, I'm interested to see how Pitt does. Uh, we'll move on from this in a sec, but. You know, they're in a tough place. Lost Jordan Addison. Obviously, Kenny Pickett left for the draft. Lost some defensive players to the draft. Um, if they don't look good this year, it, it's just going to look ugly for him. Um, yeah. It, it, it's starting to look like he chased his offensive coordinator out of town. Couldn't get along with them during one of their best seasons in decades. Um, just, you know, it's it's one thing to get to the top for your program or close to the top it's another thing to stay there and and this year is going to be big for them a lot of turnover so um i would say always hoping the best for pat narduzzi but i i I don't know i got some mixed emotions about that now so the the last big storyline around college football that i want to make sure we hit on as as a college football podcast i think it does pertain to michigan state is if if you are listening right now and you haven't seen this you know about the college football world and NIL right now. And these teams are putting together these collectives who are, you know, buying recruits and the whole thing has been a huge storyline. Well, one school I didn't necessarily expect this from Texas tech, their NIL uh, collective, the matador club, they have put together a deal 
where every player on the roster, every scholarship player plus 15 walk-ons, so that's 100 players getting a one-year $25,000 deal. So this collective is shelling out $2.5 million to the roster in the form of a $25,000 deal for everybody. And I think, you know, we can talk about at a later date, we don't really have time for it today, the implications of like Michigan State NIL stuff. We've had a couple, you know, the SD4L uh, stuff. There's the, um, what was it, the East Lansing NIL, um, what was it, the thing that the players put together. Um, You know, there's some, some stuff coming down the pipeline that may or may not result in you know players committing or players staying when they otherwise would have transferred or what have you we don't really know the implications of any of that yet but uh the question i wanted to ask scott is if you were in charge of a collective you know you were you were the guy bringing the most money to the table so you had final say and you are running your college football team let's just say michigan state and you basically had to choose one of two routes with your two and a half million dollars. Do you do it like Texas Tech, where you're giving everybody on the roster 25 grand? Or do you do it the way that, like, I know Tennessee is kind of heading down this path where you're the star quarterback, you're getting a, an $8 million deal. You're the backup offensive lineman. Sorry, we don't have any left for you, right? Like, would you rather pay the stars big money? And hey, backups, sorry, maybe next year if you're starting, then we can talk. Or would you rather just go the um, the socialism route that the Matador Club has chosen and everybody gets 25 grand? I uh, I would probably go with the the Texas Tech route, give everybody some cash. Um, because I think if a player is good enough uh, at the top of the team, they're going to be able to go out and get more for themselves. Um, now that assumes there's more money to go around elsewhere, which there obviously is, but I think it takes a team to win a championship. I don't know if the storyline of like, Oh, well you're going to sow, you know, visions in your locker room. If you pay the top and don't pay anybody else because they will be jealous or whatever. We'll see. Um, that there's a lot more factors than just who's getting paid that go into something like that. But it's going to take players being smart about it, right? The star quarterback had better be taking his offensive lineman out to dinner and right. stuff. And then, you know, I don't think it's as big of a problem. But if if the star quarterback isn't doing that kind of stuff, then that's where you might run into some problems. And so driving I guess his it depends on the player, right? And flexing yeah. in front of his buddies. Um yeah, I think I'm going to pay everybody. I think that is going to just create kind of a like a baseline positive culture around it. Uh, nobody's going to be, you know, if I'm a backup offensive lineman getting paid, you know, I'm an offensive guard, starting offensive guard. I'm getting 25 grand a year and my quarterback's getting a million because he's got some big social media following. Like I can get over that. But if my quarterback's getting $2 million and I'm getting zilch and I'm getting blasted in the face over and over for an entire season to keep him upright, I could see a little bit of resentment. Um, and again, if if they if the best of the best are good enough, they're going to go out and find their own deals elsewhere as well. Um, but I like 
in terms of like trying to win a championship, trying to do positive team things, get positive team results, I'm going to pay the whole team. Yeah, the the altruistic side of me wants to agree, but I I think I would go the other route, dude. I I think when push comes to shove, if I'm in control of one of these collectives, I want my team to win. And I'm not talking win eight games a year. I'm talking win titles. And the only way to do that is you have to have a couple of dudes on your team. And in today's day and age, um, obviously not every single high four-star or five-star players like this. I'm not trying to generalize it, but it seems like a lot more players than we might feel comfortable with are accepting large sums of money rather than the best situations for them. And, and there are certainly players who are making the decisions that are best for their future. But this is not a shitting on Louisville segment. I don't think as a, a top 100 player that going to Louisville is the best situation for your future. Uh, whereas a lot of players seem to be heading down that path. And uh, I think it's pretty clear that Louisville is shelling around some money. But I, I think that's the route I would go. Uh, it's riskier for sure. And like you said, I you know I can kind of flip it the other way a little bit too, right? That there are local businesses who can shell out the five hundred dollars, the thousand dollars, the five grand, or whatever. He can this starting left tackle can get a deal at the local Ford dealership, right? Um, so I don't I don't know. That's kind of the way I would go. But I I think both are are have their merits, I guess. And you know what I would do if I was that starting offensive lineman getting a thousand dollars from my local Ford dealership, I would take it to DraftKings and I would hammer something. I don't know, anything, whatever it is. There's nothing really to bet on right now besides baseball. And if you're not a baseball fan like me, it's just kind of uh finding another preseason college football win total future bet to put on. Uh, which is basically where I'm at. And DraftKings right now is giving away risk-free bets up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000. If it doesn't win, you get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action, baseball, golf, MMA, uh, same game parlays, whatever the case may be. Um, I'm a big golf guy in general. The live thing is kind of pissing me off. But hey, uh, Cam Smith won me some money at the Open. And uh, DraftKings is helping me out with that. They are safe, secure, reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we're a proud member. Bet your first deposit. Make your first deposit. Get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. Promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for the details. So... Now that that's all out of the way, we are talking about quarterbacks and running backs. We're talking about the backfield today, previewing it as, as I guess, the first part of our, our preview season, right? And uh, we'll start with the quarterbacks here. And at the end of the day, I think it's a pretty simple conversation, uh, but I think some context is necessary. I think a lot of people kind of forget where we were at this time last year. Right. Anthony Rousseau comes in from Temple. A lot of people think he's coming in and the job is his. Right. He was like a four year starter there. And he 
I don't think he necessarily had his choice around college football, but there are plenty of Power 5 schools that Anthony Rousseau could have transferred to and started right away. And so you kind of assumed, well, if he's transferring to Michigan State, that probably means that he's going to be the starter. But we did love what we saw out of Peyton Thorne uh, coming down the stretch in 2020 at that great game against Penn State. He had three touchdown passes in the second quarter or something like that. And uh, we came into week one not knowing. The the staff kept it under wraps, and it basically took until warm-ups against Northwestern when the beat reporters started uh, you know, putting it out there on Twitter. It's Peyton Thorne behind center for all these first-team reps. So now we're sitting here. Peyton Thorne just broke the school record for touchdown passes in a season in his first year as a starter. And led one of the more productive offenses in recent memory for Michigan State football and comes in as the unquestioned starter, unquestioned leader of this group. There's no no competition whatsoever for QB1. It's Peyton Thorne. So we're in a very different spot than we have been, I guess, the last couple years, right? So the question is, is Peyton Thorne like a top three no-brainer quarterback in the Big Ten going to lead this team to you know a, a double digit win season or lead this team to um you know a, another good record throw 25 plus touchdowns again or was a lot of that the product remember how many of those touchdowns came on flea flickers last year you know remember some of the bad games like i i as much as i am very very excited about what peyton thorne can do in this offense you do have to go back and remember some of the things of the Peach Bowl. Remember the Indiana game. Remember large stretches of that Michigan game. He had two interceptions and no touchdowns. Remember Nebraska, the whole second half, right? Like there are definitely reasons to be optimistic. I'm mostly playing devil's advocate there, but there are reasons to be a little bit concerned. Um, but at the end of the day, again, you've got a quarterback coming back couple years of eligibility still ahead of you who just set the school record for touchdown passes in his first season as a starter, right? So, so Peyton Thorne coming into 2022, Scott, your confidence level on a scale from one to 10. Mm. I'm at like a six and a half. Um, it's pretty nervous. I mean, that's not, I would guess if we took a poll of the fan base that that is definitely on the low end. I might be. I again, I qualifier, disqualifier, whatever. I just watched the Peach Bowl yesterday, <laughs> um, and that was his his worst game of the year, um, pretty clearly. And there was there were a couple other bad games, but that was. I mean, he, again, at least two quarters of that game, he looked dreadful. Um, now. You can say what you want about bowl rustiness. He hadn't played in four weeks or whatever. Um, Pitt had a great defense, although mostly rushing defense, but he had no help from the running game. Um, he didn't have either of our starting tackles, at least not in their usual spots. Spencer Brown had a tough game. They had great pass rushers. Um, there were other, there were factors that led to him not having his best game outside of just his ability to throw the ball. That said, we're playing in the Big Ten. We're going to see good teams, and we're going to need him to play well against those teams. So he is 
I mean, I think he's got a pretty high floor. I don't think the wheels are going to fall off. He seems to have a great kind of mental um, outlook and ability to stay calm and ability to reset when he makes mistakes, which are obviously very important for quarterbacks. Um, but he did get a lot of help from the running game. He threw off play action a ton. And with the threat of Kenneth Walker, safeties were desperate to try to get down into the box if K-9 was going to get the ball. So um, that can't be understated. And a lot of this, again, is going to come down to how good is the offensive line and how much time is he getting? How good is the running game to make the defense think? How good is whatever wide receiver core we, we put on the field this year? Um, but if we're just looking at Peyton Thorne's play, I think he's going to have another good year. It's just, I don't know if he's going to be able to replicate last year or take a step forward from it without some other things falling into place this year. Um, so six and a half out of 10. I'm I'm workshopping a take. I'll uh I'll I'll give give the peek behind the curtain. I the the general direction is that Peyton Thorne is more likely to be Connor Cook Kirk Cousins than he is to be Brian Lewerke. If that makes sense, right? Because Lewerke was awesome in 2017. That's his first year as a starter. He was incredible. We had 10 wins. He had, you know, the rushing, the passing, and then just never got any better. Literally, it was the LJ Scott of the quarterback position, right? He just did not improve. I think I, there, so part of it is the coaching staff, I think, is more committed to throwing the football and having success on offense instead of a staff that is just focused on playing defense, clock control, uh, field position kind of football. Part of it is, I think, the the drive from the staff to bring in more playmakers, right? Focusing on bringing in legitimate skill players like uh, Jeremy Bernard, Antonio Gates Jr. from this last class, etc. And... I think something that has to be considered here, too, is we just brought in an Elite 11 quarterback right behind him. And there is there is a personal level of the game of football that we don't always account for where his job is safe for this year, and he knows that. But he sees this kid throwing the ball every day. And Caton Hauser, I think it's hard to argue, probably has the best pure arm talent on the team. And that's probably pushing Peyton Thorne every day to say like, man, this time next year, when this kid gets the playbook really down, it, he, he, he can make throws that I can't right? just physically. I can't make that throw that he just fit that wit into a window. Right. And I think there is something to that where you are pushing yourself, knowing that there's that guy behind you. So I, I, I'm workshopping the exact wording of it, but basically it's that I think that Peyton Thorne is, is more likely to ascend to that legacy of a Kirk Cousins, of a Connor Cook, of just an, a, you know, an elite college quarterback in his time 
rather than kind of plateauing and being like, you know, he was a, he was good, right? The way we look at Brian Lewerke, he was a good quarterback. You know, he had his moments. He had a really good first year. You know, he was he was still good after that, but you know, he wasn't great. Um, I don't I don't know. I don't even know if that's really a hot take, but that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly things to address, and it's it's going to be more on his shoulders. We've talked about that a ton already. Behind Thorn, you have the aforementioned Caden Hauser, who is a redshirt freshman, true sophomore, whatever you want to call him, coming into this year, his second year with the playbook, second year with uh, with every or sorry, first year coming in, learning the playbook. He was in in the spring, and you know you get mixed up in in the spring. You know, getting getting used to all of this, um, you know, getting into a college weight room, getting into a college playbook, getting into a college film room, all of that. Um, Things that I think you get used to being in the Elite 11, being around like actual professional coaching. Um, You have Hamp Fay, who's been in school for for a year now. He was the the guy that, you know, 6'5", 220, played some wide receiver at high school, in high school when he, you know, because they did had like a dual QB kind of thing going. So he's got the athleticism, he's got the size, he's got some arm talent, uh, but we just haven't seen him take a, enough snaps, even in high school, to really know what to expect. And then you have Noah Kim, who's just that like perpetual... um coach's kid uh i don't even think he's a coach's kid but he just kind of comes off as a coach's kid right he's the the grinder in the film room he's he knows the playbook like the back of his hand might not have the most arm talent in the world he's 185 pounds like you're just not gonna build an offense around noah kim but if if he has to come in and and play the third and fourth quarter of a game because your starting quarterback went down you're you're at least confident that the kid knows the playbook and that he knows where his reads are. You don't really have to shorten the playbook a whole lot, right? It, like the backup quarterback conversation. If Caden Hauser's your backup quarterback and God forsaken, you know, like Peyton Thorne goes down and gets hurt, you're going to have to shorten that playbook. You're going to have to go from 65 plays to 30 plays because there are just plays where Caden Hauser, not that he doesn't know what the play is, but he doesn't, he isn't confident in first read, second read, third read, check down. You know, you just, you have to limit that. Whereas Noah Kim, I don't think you would have to. So um, I don't know. Is, is there anything that you want to touch on with the backup quarterbacks? Is there anything that you think is interesting or stands out there? I think this is the most excited I've ever been for a backup quarterback competition in any level of football. Um, there is a legitimate competition there. Yeah, and it's nice because you, there's no concern about the starting quarterback job. So it's like low pressure, right? The the whole program's not relying on on this competition working out and finding a dude who's going to be productive. It's not like Peyton Thorne versus Rocky Lombardi in 2020, 29, yeah, 2020. Um, right. it's just going to be fun. You've got Hamp Fay and Kate Hauser, who folks have been various levels of excited for, for a year or two now. Uh, keep in mind before Kate Hauser ever committed, Hamp Fay was kind of that dude, uh, to a lesser degree, but a really exciting prospect that when he committed, the, the program was really excited about. Um, and I don't want to overlook that. You mentioned his, his film due to an injury, was kind of limited in high school. So you don't really know what you've got, but he's, he's clearly got some, some tools. 
Um, and Noah Kim, like you said, a guy that has been around the program now for a couple of years, feels like five years, but uh, only two years, surprisingly. And all of them have four years of eligibility left, amazingly. So they could all be looking at Peyton Thorne like, well, he's going to move on at some point. Amazingly, Peyton Thorne also has, I think, three years of eligibility still, but likely two. I don't know. It seems like two seems reasonable for him. So there's going to be an opening and these guys are probably going to be around for it if they're still, if they haven't transferred. So this is kind of their first opportunity to establish a pecking order between the three of them. Um, And there's going to be snaps, especially early in the season to, to go around. And there's going to be a lot of um, reason for them to, to battle it out. So it's going to be fun. I think you did a good job recapping kind of what each one has going for them. Um, So I won't, return to that but um yeah i think it's gonna be fun there's just so little to know about any of them in terms of snap count that uh there's just an opportunity for any of them to surprise us and and that's exciting and god forbid like you said peyton thorne hopefully he stays healthy the whole year but should he get dinged up this season it would be it great is football. to know we've got somebody behind him. And he took some hits last year. If you watch <laughs> yeah. the film, that dude needs to learn to slide more. Like I love his grit and toughness, but he took some smashes. I think year. I was talking to TJ about this recently where it was just like, I kind it was one of those things that I kind of forgot about, you know, over the course of your months out removed from the season. And you're kind of remembering all the big plays from Walker and Reed and Naylor and Thorne and, Cal Halliday, and you kind of forget the the minutia, right? But in that minutia was Peyton Thorne refusing to slide and just getting. I remember a play where he tried to take on like two linebackers closing in on him, like four yards away from the sticks. And it was like, dude, get down. What in the world are you thinking here? So I'm sure that's a point of emphasis in the QB room with Jay Johnson this year. It has yeah. to be. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, early season, this backup battle is going to be interesting fall camp. I'm sure they'll be duking it out. Unfortunately, we just don't get to see much of fall camp. That's obviously for a reason, but for us fans, it's kind of a bummer. Um, just to circle back on QBs and put a bow on it. Uh, your bl- your Brian Lewerke, Brian Lewerke take. I went back to run some numbers, check out all the sophomore seasons of Thorne, Lewerke, Cook, and Cousins, kind of just stats. And I know stats aren't the whole story, and we have a different coaching staff with a different kind of ethos behind throwing the ball now. But Peyton Thorne had 389 attempts last season, which only Brian Lewerke actually had more with 417 his sophomore season. Kirk Cousins had the least with 328. Uh, Peyton Thorne, 60.4 completion percent, which matched Connor, uh, Kirk Cousins' sophomore season. Connor Cook never broke 60% in any of his seasons, and Brian Lewerke also never broke 60%. So Peyton Thorne tied for the best in the group in completion percent. Yards were the highest of anyone in the group with 3,230. Uh, nobody else broke like 2,800. And the highest average yards per attempt, most touchdowns, interceptions were a mixed bag. Peyton Thorne with 10. Uh, actually, that was the most of the group, but the highest passer rating as well. So just looking at 
sophomore season throwing the ball of those four guys. Certainly he's closer to the cousins cook group than the worky, but I would say had the best sophomore season of any of them. So yeah. Um, I don't think you could argue that any of those three had a better upside potential than Peyton Thorne either. Peyton Thorne's not your generational Quinn Ewers, Justin Fields kind of NFL prospect. But just speaking of how much better he can get, I don't think there's any reason to believe he couldn't reach the same heights as an individual as Cook or Cousins did. Um, now, we did have some pieces around cousins and cook as well in terms of running game offensive line tight ends etc but i think there's there's a lot of reason to be excited about peyton thorne just a big question mark because peyton thorne had the best running back of any of those guys right. to support him and got to cut down on the interceptions like you mentioned him. yeah I, he had nine interceptions in the final eight games of the season that's just you can't have that. You got to take care of the ball, especially when you don't have a Kenneth Walker who will bail you out on a couple drives. You know, th there were a handful of drives throughout that season that it was just, you know, let's give it to Kenneth Walker. He breaks a 60 yard touchdown in the midst of like a four series stretch where we haven't had a first down. You know, it's just when you don't have that kind of elite playmaker you got to take care of the football a little bit better. And again, I'm sure that's a point of emphasis. Um, I'm sure they'll be addressed. But moving over to the running backs, it's a very interesting. We we spent a bit of time. We, we tried not to do the podcast before the podcast, but we, we were talking a little bit about this running back room. It's very interesting. So obviously, Kenneth Walker's gone. You bring in Jarek Broussard from Colorado, who is... I think by most accounts, the presumed starter, he has had a very interesting career up to this point. He came into Colorado in 2018 as a freshman, uh, redshirted, didn't see any game action. 2019, injured his knee at the beginning of the season or, or right when the season was started, did not see action at all. And then going into 2020, his first game action, his first game on the field as a college football player, he goes for 31 carries, 187 yards, three touchdowns against UCLA, goes on to be the Pac-12 player of the year in 2020, obviously a shortened season, only played six games, but absolutely dominated. I mean, his, his game log from that year, 187 yards, 121 yards, 124 yards, 301 yards, 80 yards, 82 yards. Uh, with five touchdowns mixed in there. And then he goes into 2021. And, you know, like we're talking, like, I don't really know what to make of this. So 2020, he has 156 rushing attempts in six games. Clearly the number one workhorse guy, the next highest had 52. And that was the quarterback. The next highest had 23. So you had a, a 156 to 23 in 2020. 2021, he goes in, you would assume the presumed starter, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, 142 carries in 12 games, so fewer carries in double the games. And you had running backs who had 98 carries, 96 carries, 53 carries. So, you know, I was, I was just trying to, like, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know, is that a coaching staff that's trying to protect him from an injury that he has already sustained? 
is that them thinking that they have three other running backs who are almost as good now Broussard had 4.7 yards per carry the next highest at 3.6 so he obviously did more with those carries than the other guys pretty significantly but I don't really know what to make of that you have Jalen Berger who comes in from Wisconsin he only has 84 career carries but was a highly touted recruit so you, you're not really sure what to make of that uh, and then beyond that, you have Davion Prim, who has been kind of touted as a sleeper guy throughout the spring. You have Elijah Collins, who is now, what, three years removed from that 998-yard season or whatever it was. Uh, you have Jordan Simmons, who's still hanging around. You have Harold Joyner, who came in from Auburn last year, who is six foot four, and we were talking about should probably just bulk up and be an H-back. It's a very strange running running back room, Scott, and I'm, I'm really not sure what to make of it. I don't even know if this is if this is good, if this is bad, if this is just weird, if this is, uh, I I don't know. We might see all six of the, these guys taking like significant snaps. It, it would not surprise me, or all five of them. Excuse, me. yeah, six. Sorry. Yeah, last um, position the quarterbacks. We were saying we got our top guy, obviously, and the rest has to play itself out. This one no top guy. It has to play itself out. I think Jarek Broussard and Jalen Berger certainly have things to be excited to see, but neither of them is far and away above the rest of this group. Um, the first two games of this season are going to be a giant running back tryout. I think you're going to get Broussard and Berger are going to get early series, early drives to show us kind of what they have, but it's not going to take long for the rest of the guys to fill in. Davion Prim was getting some spring hype, um, so he'll be in the mix as well. Collins, Simmons, and Joyner kind of know what we're going to get, but um, there's snaps to be had certainly more than there were last year, so they're going to have every reason to to put their best foot forward. And um, I don't think this is going to happen, but let's say Broussard and Berger come out and kind of just like fall flat. Uh, someone's going to have to step up. So it, this is going to be a really interesting battle. Um, I don't even know where to go first, honestly, with this group. I think Broussard has shown the most potential on tape so far. But again, you mentioned it's kind of a weird history at Colorado with his utilization and how many touches he got 2020 versus last year. Um, Jalen Berger, great prospect but at wisconsin just looked a little heavy-footed so far and he's still young but um you know kind of a similar story to harold joiner who was really hyped up four-star prospect obviously very um athletic if you saw his back handspring video that did the rounds on on twitter a couple weeks ago you know how athletic he is um but kind of got to msu and just found a very small niche in the playbook and hasn't really expanded beyond that. So we know these things can not pan out. We got spoiled with Kenneth Walker and I hope fans aren't expecting every transfer running back that comes in to, to do anything even remotely close to what Kenneth Walker did. Uh, so this is, this job is up for grabs. I really hope Broussard or Berger or even Davion Prim uh, can be a top dog who's clearly above the rest or at least a couple of, these guys can can kind of float up above the rest. I don't think Simmons and Collins or Joyner are going to take a massive step forward and take the world by storm. So this is going to be really interesting. 
um, we need a running back. We need a running game. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be a committee or it doesn't need to be one guy. It could be a committee. It could be like that LJ Scott, Madre London, Gerald Holmes season, right? That, that worked out in our favor. So um, yeah, we got a lot of options. Everyone's going to need to get touches and it is murky waters coming off canines year and him basically carrying the team for a majority of last season with help from the passing game. Yeah. And, and to your point, like the early season, you know, kind of tryout period, you have Western Michigan was a hundredth in opposing yards per carry last season. You have, Akron, who was 129th, they allowed 6.6 yards per carry last year. Washington week three, they were towards the bottom of college football as well. 4.9 yards per carry. That was 103rd in the country. I would expect them to be better. They had a weird season. Their coach got fired halfway through the year. Um, I would expect them to be better. They're usually a good defensive program, but going off of last year which is really all we have to go off of they were not good at stopping the run last year and then it's it's until week four where we play minnesota who has a proven run defense they were 13th in the country in opposing yards per carry so i mean you're you have a couple weeks there to kind of play around with it and and see which of these guys are you're going to give you know the key carries right i, I still think it's going to be a big committee at the end of the day, but you, you've got to kind of figure out, all right, we're in the red zone. It's time to give the ball to this guy, right? Or you're at your third and three and you're going to run the ball. You're giving the ball to this guy. And and you got to have that alpha. I think at the end of the day, you, you have to have the one guy, you know, you can rely on. Um, very interesting group. I don't know. You know, we're, we're kind of with, with these position breakdowns or previews, we're not going to go as in depth um because a lot of stuff a lot of the times you end up just talking just to fill time right we're we're given the storylines we're given the key stats we're given the things that you know i think a lot of people forgot about or don't know or whatever um and just kind of having a conversation about it so you're going to see over the next couple weeks we're going to do the pass catchers we're going to do the offensive line we're going to do the defensive line uh, we'll do linebackers, DBs, and mixed in there, we'll have a couple mailbags that we'll, we'll keep you guys informed on as well. We're going to have some fun with this thing. 43 days until kickoff. Eric Gordon days away until kickoff at uh, uh, September 3rd, Friday night kick against Western Michigan. It is creeping ever closer. Uh, I hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. I know uh, I will probably just be laying in a sweaty blob it's just way too hot um i think it was mason in our group chat was like asking you from philadelphia to new york he's like dude is it as hot there as it is here it's like the entire world is hot dude <laughs> um that's just i don't know dog days of summer i guess but scott you have uh, yourself a great weekend i hope all the listeners have a great weekend and until then we will talk to you guys on monday go green go white take care folks